But Father, as your people agree with me, we pray over the word tonight. And um, the word of God is so important. We thank you for the move of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence. We know that like Psalm 23, you lead us into green pastures and beside still waters as your sheep, Lord. And the waters speak of the Holy Spirit, the refreshing, but also the green pasture speaks of the food that we need. And Lord, we need your word. And I pray that you would give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives right now. And that by the the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, help us, Lord, to get locked into what you're saying. By your Holy Spirit, our minds would not wander and get distracted, but would be focused on the word of the Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and our ears, have eyes and ears of the Spirit. Because Jesus said in the Scriptures, you know, those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, we want to have those eyes and ears to be able to see and hear and understand what you're trying to speak to us because it's spiritually understood. The carnal mind isn't going to understand the things of God. But help us, Lord, to have eyes and ears of the Spirit to perceive revelation. And we'll have tender hearts before you, Lord, and be humble. And that your word will go out as living seeds of truth, like Jesus taught the parable of the seed and the sower, and it will fall upon good, fertile soil of hearts and minds, prepared by the Holy Spirit. Not rocky soil, but good soil. And the Holy Spirit will water those seeds in the lives of people, and it will cause them to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. It's going to be good fruit that's going to come forth. And, Lord, that the Word of God will go out like the washing of the water of the Word, Ephesians 5, washed with the water of the Word, and also that your Word will go out as, as light, shining forth and dispelling all the darkness. I know everybody's agreeing with me about this. Lord, let your light shine, dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception. All the religious stuff, the pet doctrines, things that are not God. It's just man. Dispel all that stuff and bring life and truth and revelation. And Lord, let your word be the mighty sword that it is to be wielded by the Holy Spirit and cut through where every place that needs to be cut through will take place in every life. We thank you, Lord, for this. We believe, we expect, we bind the enemy. And maybe we try to hinder, but we bind you in Jesus' name. We have to back off and go from this word. And, Lord, let the winds of your Spirit is going to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. For your word won't return void. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And let your holy angels watch over the word of the Lord as it goes out to the nations. We bless you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This series has been very dear to my heart. This is something that God has really done in my life personally. As we've talked about the power of communion, we talked about intimacy with God. And I wanted to make sure that people hear some of the things I'm going to say. Last week when I left off, I left off with this point, but I want people to really catch this. A lot of times, people don't know the difference. They don't discern the difference between the excitement about something versus the actual move of God. And they, but they really don't know the difference. They'll get really excited about an event or a conference or a, a speaker that's coming or whatever, and it's like this great excitement, and they get there and everybody's excited, and they think that that's the move of God. But that's just being excited about something. And they'll think that charismatic personalities, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that having a charismatic personality is wrong. I'm just saying a lot of people think that that's the anointing, that's the move of God, but it's not. It's just a charismatic personality. And 
that that sometimes I think is what people get confused. They get so excited about certain things, and and then really it's almost like a, a little bit of a deflating because it's not. It's those type of things are never going to meet the true expectations of Scripture and the true expectations of what we're looking for. And I think that's why people get so fired up about an event, and then on the other side of it, it seems almost like, well, where's revival? And it's because they're looking to the wrong things. If we would look to the Lord and press into Him, and that's why sometimes I think some some people here and there over the years might have gotten a little confused because they know how much I love revival and love God's presence, but yet they sometimes may see that I don't get overly excited about some event because I know the difference. The event isn't God. It's just an event. It'll come and it'll go. It'll be forgotten about in a year. But pressing into him, that is the key. Pressing into his presence, intimacy with him. So in this series, I've dealt a lot with that, about knowing God for yourself. Okay? We've got to get beyond just knowing about him, and we have to know him. There's a huge difference. And it can cost a lot if people don't catch what I'm saying. It can cost people a lot. And according to the scriptures last week we read, um, and even before that, some people are not going to be in heaven because they were just religious. They know A lot of people know who Jesus is. That isn't going to get you into heaven. What's going to get us into heaven is the relationship. Y'all know what I'm saying. I mean, there's people out there that know who Jesus is, and they're real religious. They may go to church. They may give money. They do all kinds of religious things. But there's got to be a new birth, and there's got to be a relationship. And that's what this series, really the heart of this series is, is that people will get to know the Lord intimately. All right. So Hebrews 10.19 is where I want to start. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. But to understand these scriptures, see, a lot of times people will read that, the most holy place. And they really don't know what that is because they don't know the Old Testament laying the groundwork. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the tabernacle tonight because the tabernacle of God Um, The Bible says we are now the temple, or you could say the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. But God created through Moses a tabernacle in everything. And when I mean, when I say everything, I mean every little teeny tiny thing. And that whole entire tabernacle points to Jesus. And we've got to understand that God is wanting to take us into the most holy place, into the holy of holies where his presence is. Just like a couple sermons back where I talked about little Samuel who slept by the ark at night in the glory. Samuel had an Old Testament covenant. How much more so today should we be in the manifest presence of God? If somebody was to ask me, oh, Pastor Scott, what tomorrow when you wake up, what's the most important thing? Well, there's a lot of different answers to that, but truthfully, if I had to be honest, I love, I love my family very much. And I love a lot of different things like this church. But the most important thing waking up tomorrow is knowing Jesus for real, knowing him. Not just people say stuff like a cliche. I don't mean it like a cliche. I mean, what are you saying? 
in, in being in his presence tomorrow. That would be the most important thing. Can I be in his presence and, and spend time with him and him talk to me? That's the most important thing. But for us to go into that holy of holies, the manifest presence, it's just like tonight, you know, we start worshiping. Every night's river of life is going to be a little different. You never really know exactly how the Lord's going to move. There's similarities, but we're worshiping along in a couple songs, and all of a sudden you just feel the Holy Spirit is come in this place so strong. And we begin to move into the deeper realms of God's manifest presence. And I believe that communion has a lot to do with coming into his manifest presence. It's not the only thing. And I do believe you can get into the manifest presence without taking communion. I'm not saying you have to. But I do believe a life of taking the Lord's Supper does help us live a life of coming into his manifest presence. And so here's a couple things that God simply dropped in my heart tonight. And you'll see on the the second page at the bottom, you'll see the tabernacle. And I'm going to actually refer a lot to that pattern. And I would encourage you that this is just like an an outline of the pattern. But I would encourage you to look up maybe, since we have computers and Google now, you know, you can look up anything so easily. But look up the tabernacle. Look up pictures of the tabernacle of Moses that are posted and and look at how things were. It's a fascinating study. All right. The first thing I would say is that we have to live for eternity. We have to change the way we think. So many of us, if we're not careful, and y'all please hear me, if we're not careful... We get caught too much with the things of the world. We get caught too much with our own lives, going to work, making money, um, hanging out with different people, doing different things, family and friends, and we get so caught up with the busyness of life. But let me tell you, what's going to matter on the other side of this life? Think about it. It was I was witnessing last week or the week before with the group going out, my wife and I, This maybe, maybe not last week, but the week before, I think, my wife and I, went in and we were at this gas station we just stopped there to witness i was talking to different people and this one guy um giving out our pamphlets is a great way to open up the conversation so i gave him a pamphlet started talking to him and he just simply said i'm not interested i don't believe in it and i said okay um i'm really nice when i when i witness people most of the time it goes really well you know y'all know how it is sometimes you get somebody that's that's just going to be a jerk no matter who it is because they hate god and they're mad but most people, most of the time, are pretty friendly. And I was talking to him, and he said, I'm just not interested. I don't believe. I said, well, I said, well, let me just leave you with this thought. I said, you know, the truth of the matter is that all of us at some point in time are going to die. And as I think about it for a minute, you know, God forbid, but here, here's your car. You're filling up your car with gas. You're about to get on the road. What would happen tonight if you had an accident and, and you wake up and you're laying on, you know, a hospital bed you got IVs in you, and you hear the beep, 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 and all of a sudden you flatline. What's next? What's going to happen to you after that? And he got real serious. It's like, man, that's a good question. And I pray that that question will haunt that man all the way to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> but that's the question I left him with because he wasn't interested in the gospel at that point. But some, 
some sow seed, some water, some, some reap the harvest. That night I was just sowing seed, and amen, I'm, just, I'm believing that God will send somebody behind me to reap the harvest one day, amen? But I want you to think about eternity. Please think about this tonight. What is going to matter in eternity? This is sometimes hard for some to... So let me try to bring this into... Some of you guys that are maybe in high school... When you, I want you to think for a minute back when you were like in elementary school. Just try to think back to that time. The things that seemed so important. You know, you had to have the, the, the coolest bike or whatever it was in elementary school. Whatever was really important to you, right? Or the next video game. And then those, those of us that are outside of high school, I want you to try to think back to in high school how things were. And it's like all these years pass... And you look back and you think, well, that was just a passing memory. That was just a phase in my life that's over. A lot of the stuff I thought was so important is absolutely not important whatsoever, you know. And you kind of come out of that. And that's the way that this life will be in eternity. When you're in heaven, you're going to be thinking, man, that was just like a memory. That was just like a passing phase. And a lot of the things I thought were so important have absolutely no value whatsoever in light of eternity. Does that make sense? And so if we can change the way we think and live for eternity, live for an eternal mindset, when we wake up in the morning and think, what matters to Jesus today? When we get into heaven, it's not going to be like, oh man, I wish I had seen that movie I wish I'd have went to that that game, you know, that that <laughs> cowboy game or whatever, God help us. And just whatever it is that uh, that is you know seems so important to people, it's not going to matter. It really won't. And so what is going to matter in eternity? Number 1, I would say Jesus said I've come to seek and save the lost. I believe that right there is one of the the most important things is that we think about the lost people. And we're praying for them and we're trying to reach out to people but also being used of the Lord, being a yielded vessel that we can be prayer warriors and we can be used of God to see things happen. Is it okay tonight? Because I'm going to kind of go pretty quick through this stuff and it's not going to be a very long sermon. It's just okay that I just kind of just talk about these things, but I want us to really think about eternity. Leonard Ravenhill, I believe it was Leonard. It might have been somebody in that category that, of those that kind of were linked to him. But I believe Leonard, he said that in his room, he had a chair that he was lean back and pray. And he said he wrote on the ceiling on purpose. He wrote so he could think every time he leaned back, he wrote up there eternity. Because every time he had a decision to make or anything that he had to do, he wanted to, he wanted to have it up there that he would lean back, open his eyes. He's looking toward God and the word eternity is there. And so that way, every decision he made, everything that he ever did, he would think to himself, what is going to matter 100 years from now? What's going to matter in eternity? In Romans 8.37, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So many times, people have gotten so mixed up in Corinthians, it actually calls this phrase, it says, the spirit of the world. 
And the world is actually referred to by the Apostle Paul. He says that there's a spirit of the world. And many people, y'all hear me, many people get wrapped up with the world. They get wrapped up with the world's entertainment. They get wrapped up with all that's going on in the world. And it becomes like a python snake that begins to wrap around them spiritually and squeeze the life out of them. And they don't realize it, but they're dying spiritually because they're getting so caught up with the world that they're losing the connection between them and God. You can't be full of the world and full of God at the same time. One of them's going to have to go. And that's why James 4 says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Those that choose to be a friend of the world um, become an enemy of God. And so there's this enmity between the world and and the things of God. But there's also between the carnal mind. Why do you think some people resist so much? They resist the Holy Spirit. They resist the things of God. Like for example, if the Holy Spirit comes in and moves and somebody falls or shakes or cries or laughs or whatever manifestation, it really doesn't matter. Whatever's going on, how many people out there, they resist that. They're angry, they resist. It's the carnal mind that right here, Romans eight thirty seven. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It's like they're at war with the things of the Spirit. And so for us to move in light of eternity, we're going to have to, y'all hear me, we're going to have to get the worldliness out of our lives. We're going to have to begin to have a holy disconnect from the world and a strong connection in prayer to the Lord. Ungodly entertainment, things that, that have been in our lives that have been choking away. It's like weeds in a garden. It's things that have been literally eating up, so to speak, the soil of our lives. It's a waste of time. It's things that, that are a hindrance. And we've got to let the Lord cut that away. And also we've got to renew our minds where our minds are going to be dead to the flesh and be focused on the Lord and begin to press into him and get past the flesh. The flesh and the world are some of the greatest enemies. Is this making sense tonight, guys? It's the flesh and the world. We have to be dead and crucified to this flesh. The fleshly desires, the things that, that the carnality that's out there, that those things that we're dead to those things. And also we're dead to the worldliness. And it's like you begin to move into a relationship where there's a, a, a strong intimacy with you and God, and you begin to think more the way he thinks in light of eternity. Because all the things that the world is focused on and all the things that your flesh is focused on is right here and right now and what gratifies right here. But when you die to all that, you begin to be intimate with the Lord. You realize, wait a second, all this stuff is just passing. It's not a big deal. It's not really important in light of eternity. And your mindset changes. So three realms of the tabernacle. You guys can look at that picture, and I just kind of go through it. But there's three realms of the tabernacle. On this, there's a lot of revelation I could get bogged down on. The outer court can be seen as the law, the holy place, the church age, the holy of holies, the coming of the Lord, the millennial reign. It definitely represents the body, then the soul, then the spirit, which I'm going to talk about. It represents God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
But just real quick, here's three things. The Lord is wanting to tabernacle in our lives individually, in our homes, and in our churches. Those three areas. Our lives individually, our homes, and our churches. So when I talk about the manifest presence of God coming in, you guys in River of Life, because you've experienced it, you know actually what I'm talking about. But you have to understand, these sermons go out to a lot of places. And a lot of people don't really know what I'm talking about when I talk about the manifest presence of God. Because they've never experienced that. They think, well, Jesus said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. And, and they think almost like just a sense of God being around. That's wonderful and that's there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the glory coming in. The thick manifest presence of God settling in our lives. And did you know that we can have that and we need that in our lives? How many of you guys want that whenever you pray? It's like tonight, you know, Fernandez tell me the glory of God was so strong on him. He's just weeping in the presence of God. We can have that in our personal lives. You can have it in your prayer life. You can have it in your home. We need the glory, the manifest presence of God to settle into our properties where you can come home and you can open the door, walk in, and you can feel there's a presence of God in that place. It's easy to pray there. There's a glory there. And the same thing at the church. But these things have to be pressed into. It does not just happen. You have to press into God. You've got to cleanse the atmosphere there. And you've got to make it create a dwelling place for God in your life. But the glory, the manifest presence can come. And when the glory comes, the Bible talks in Isaiah 4, around uh, verse 6, talks about the glory being a defense, like a canopy of protection. In Romans, I believe, 13, talks about the armor of light. The glory of God coming on his people. It says in Isaiah, I believe, chapter 60, that in the last days there would be thick, gross darkness upon the nations, But on God's people, the glory would arise and shine. And nations would be drawn to that light of the glory. And God is wanting his manifest presence to increase substantially in our lives in these latter days. Because we need it. We need his presence. And this is a move of the Holy Spirit. And I say this tonight by the Spirit. I feel the unction about this. There is a move of the Holy Spirit in the last days to prepare a bride for the coming of the Lord. And we need that move of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He is, he's filling us with extra oil. He's helping to get the sin out of our lives, out of our hearts. He's causing us to fall in love with the Lord. And there's a draw there. And we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Peter that we're living stones that build a spiritual house for God to come dwell. You know what I believe really, the apostolic prophetic ministry? I believe more than anything else, if it's a true apostolic ministry, not just a little title, but it's the real deal. If it's a true prophetic ministry, not just because somebody says it, but it's the real deal. The true apostolic and true prophetic ministry will be about this right here will be, number one, about building a dwelling place for God to come down and meet with people. That's number one. Number two, the apostolic prophetic will be about reproducing 
that spiritual DNA in other people. See, it's one thing to be a teacher. There's a big difference here, what I'm about to say. There's one thing to be a teacher, and it's another entirely different thing to be a father. Those are two completely different things. Somebody that's fathering, uh, the apostolic especially, is a very fathering thing. A father, the DNA is passed to the next generation. It's not just teaching. There's a DNA. What I'm trying to get at is this. You're not just teaching people, but what you have with God is reproduced in them. And they carry that. There's a big difference. And that's what I believe the true apostolic prophetic will be about building a dwelling place for God and to really see spiritual DNA reproduced in other people and to help bring the body of Christ to maturity, to pioneer new ground. I am definitely not into um, being here and trying to get any people to go from some other church that are already Christians and come in here. I mean, if God spoke to them very clearly, whatever, that's fine. But we're about breaking new ground. We want to see people saved. There's a difference. Pioneering. Also, the apostolic and prophetic should have a breakthrough anointing. And that's what we're pressing into a river of life is a breakthrough anointing in this region to see a major breakthrough. For us to do that, though, we've got to get beyond the world and beyond our own flesh. There's got to be a death to our flesh. We've got to get beyond our soul. Now, let me say something, and then we're going to go to an entirely different thing here, but this is very important. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ lives through me. We've got to get to a place where we're no longer living. The old Scott Boyd, the old Zach Jones, okay, the old whoever has got to be dead. And that's important. You know, Steve Hill preached a sermon called The Death of Mr. Me. And he was talking about, and there was like a big tombstone, you know. He's talking about being dead to my past, dead to who I was, that I'm dead. I no longer live, but now Christ is living his life through me. That's important. So we've got to come to a place where there's literally a crucifixion of our flesh and there's a death of the old. Number two, We've got to learn how to discipline our soul. When some people are up and down, they're depressed, then they're happy. They're angry, then they're joyful. They're just kind of up and down emotionally. They're suicidal one week, then they're on the top of the world the next. They're just as happy as can be. What's happening there is, is they haven't had a disciplined soul You've got to discipline your emotions, discipline your mouth, and discipline your mind. And when you do that, you begin to discipline yourself that I'm not going to let my emotions get out of control. I'm not going to let my mouth get out of control. I'm not going to let my mind just think on whatever. I'm going to discipline myself. And you walk in that discipline, it is a radical change. So the flesh, it's like we're dead to who we were. Now our minds and soul area is being renewed and transformed by the power of the Spirit of God in us. We're, not, we're disciplined now where we used to not be. And we're going beyond our flesh and even beyond our own soul area because that's the realm. 
where a lot of times we just want to be entertained. We're getting beyond that, and we're getting into the spirit, and a lot of people out there nowadays won't even have a clue what I'm talking about. We talk about getting in the spirit. We've got to get past our own flesh and even past our own soul area where it's not just an emotional experience, it's not just a mental experience, but it's a spiritual experience. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit deep calling unto deep. And so if we're truly going to be apostolic and prophetic, we're going to get to a place to where we're, we're having a um, dwelling place for God to come meet with people and to see the, the DNA that God's given us reproduced in them as they come to maturity, but they're going to learn how to get beyond their flesh. When you come to River of Life, it's not going to be about us appeasing your flesh. And it's not going to be about entertainment. I'm not going to let it get about entertainment. I think that, you know, by and large, we you know have pretty good worship. The guys do a f- phenomenal job, okay? But what I'm saying is it's not there to entertain. And if it ever was that, I'll change it next week. It's not about entertainment. It's, it, okay, a lot of times people just want to sit there and it's like they're watching TV or a movie and they'll just be entertained. That's soulish. Let's get beyond the soul and get into the spirit. Where the spirit, your inner man, your spirit, there is going to be a deep calling unto deep. There's going to be revelation. And you're getting into the meat of the word of God. You're beginning to get strong in God. You're beginning to know the Holy Spirit's presence and voice. And you're growing up. I don't want to spend the rest of my life on milk. I want to be on meat spiritually. I don't want to be a babe the rest of my life that has to have my flesh played with you know in church like oh everything's got to be catered to the flesh i don't want to be the rest of my life thinking that my soul area has to always be entertained i want to go beyond that and i want to know him you're not going to really know him you're certainly not going to know him with your flesh but you're not you're not going to really know god with your emotions and your mind area too much it's a spiritual relationship And even whenever, you know, I've had maybe a bad day or something, I don't even pay too much attention anymore to my own feelings and emotions. Because I know if I get a good night's sleep, get up the next day, have a good meal, I'll probably forget about it anyway. Emotions just come and go. But it's getting beyond those things and into the spirit. That's why Paul rebuked sometimes and said, you know, he said, I can't talk to you as spiritual. You're still carnal. I can't give you meat. You still are in need of milk. They hadn't learned how to get past those things and in the deeper things of God. They're still babes. So this coming to maturity, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have trained their senses to discern good from evil. All right, now this is a key scripture. We're living in the last days. The Bible says there's going to be deception There's going to be seducing spirits, doctrines of demons. People are going to fall away. People are going to listen to goofy doctrines. People aren't going to know what they're talking about. And so we've got to get to where we know solid food. And it's not milk anymore, but it's getting on solid food. Some of you guys know because you've been around babies. You won't remember yourself as a baby, I'm sure. But some of you know being around babies, they cannot handle solid food. They've got to be on milk for a while. There's some people that sit in churches, bless God, they've been saved for 50 years, and they're still on milk. They're, the, they're just an old, big baby. 
And I don't want to be that. So we've got to be able to get beyond this, this baby food and into some maturity. And also your inner senses, that's your spirit. It's not talking about your emotions. It's not talking about your intellect. It's talking about your inner spirit, man, your inner senses. You can discern good from evil. You know what's of God and what's not. And some of you have grown up now long enough in River of Life. When you get around the presence of God, you know, hey, that's the presence of God. And when you get around something that's demonic, you're like, whoa, I recognize that right off. Why? Because your inner senses are trained to discern good from evil. But if you never get beyond the flesh and beyond your own soul area and get into the spirit and have communion with God, deep calling unto deep, where God is strengthening that inner man, that inner man is built up, and you know him, you know his voice, you know his presence, you're soaking in his presence, then there's no way to mature in this area. So the tabernacle. Here's the pattern to get into God's deep presence. It starts from the right to the left, and you see the outer court, then you see the holy place, then you see the holy of holies. So the first revelation is what I've been talking about, that you get past the flesh. You even get past the holy place, your soul, where it's no longer just about emotions and intellect, but it's into revelation now. There's a difference. And some of the intercessors and prayer warriors, you know what I'm talking about because the Holy Spirit will come in here. And when you first come in, you may be a little bit in the flesh. You had a long day at work. And then as we begin to worship, you get out of your flesh and you get into the soul. Your mind starts focusing on God. Your emotions get in tune with Him. But pretty soon, you've gotten past your own soul area. Now, you're in the Spirit. And you begin to pray in the Spirit. And there's a groaning and a travailing. And there's a deep calling unto deep. And some of you know what I'm talking about. God starts showing you vision. And you're praying in the Spirit and you'll see a vision and you know that that's what you're praying about. See, what's happening is, is that you're beginning to move past your flesh and even past your own soul. And you're getting in the Spirit where there's revelation. There's intimacy with God. So here's how it is. Look from the right to the left. The first thing is there's only one way into that tabernacle, just like there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus. That's it. You're not going to get there through Muhammad or Buddha or anybody else. It's going to be through Jesus. Amen? And that gate had four colors, and the four colors represent the gospel. The red is Luke, and, and the blue is John, etc. The, uh, the white is Luke, rather, and the um, blue is John. The purple is Matthew. And you go through that gate... The gospel. And the first place you stop is the area of the bronze altar, the sacrifice. This is, represents Calvary, where you accept Christ as your Savior. There's a new birth. You'll never be the same. If it's real, you'll never be the same. And there's really seven places Jesus shed his blood. You can add two more, making it nine. Nine's the number of judgment. But the seven places in the garden. I'm going to go quick, okay? So just kind of lock into what I'm saying. Remember in the garden, it was in a garden where Adam and Eve said, not my will, I mean, not your will, God, not yours, my will be done, and they rebelled against God. It was in a garden where Jesus sweated drops of blood, but it was also in a garden where Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. 
And Jesus undid, he reversed what was going on in the Garden of Eden when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that blood that he shed in the Garden broke the power of rebellion against God. The second place was Jesus' face. They ripped his beard. And Adam and Eve, as I talked about either last week or the week before, Arom and Arom, the glory was on them. But when they sinned, the glory left. And Jesus, by shedding blood, remember Moses' face shined. There was a shining of the glory. The Lord paid for our, the glory of God to be able to come back on our countenance again. Our, his head, um, God told Adam, it's by the sweat of your brow that you'll eat. And there was a curse of poverty. But Jesus, when he came, he sweated, or rather the blood was on his brow because of the crown of thorns. And he broke the power of poverty so that we can have prosperity in God. His hands, Jesus took nails in his hands. So that, why? The Bible says that you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. There's something in our hands. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's an authority and a power in our hands. And in the feet, Jesus took nails in his feet. And God spoke to, um, I believe it was Joshua, said, Everywhere the soles of your feet tread, I'll give you victory. Abraham, the same thing. And everywhere that they, their feet went, they walked, God gave them victory. And the same thing with Jesus. You remember he was in the boat, but whenever he got out of the boat at the gatherings, remember that? And he put his foot down on that soil. As soon as he did, demons manifested. And that man with the legion of demons starts screaming out, what are you doing here, Jesus? You know, and it was as soon as Jesus' foot hit that ground. So there's something in the feet. There's an authority in our walk. There, in the side, this is deep, and I've got to go quickly, but I'm just trying to just say this real fast. But Jesus bled. It was blood and water from his side, just like the outer court. There's blood and water. What happens when a woman gives birth? Blood and water. Jesus was paying for us to be children of God. And not only that, but it was from the rib of Adam that Eve was made. Jesus was paying for a bride through blood and water. The bruising. He was pierced for our transgressions, but he was bruised for our iniquity. Bruising is where you bleed on the inside. The iniquity, I don't have time to teach on it, but you guys know what iniquity drives are. There's a difference between sin, missing the mark, transgression is rebellion. But the iniquity is those iniquity drives in people and Jesus paid that he was bruised for our iniquity, bled internally. And also, the two places I would add would be at the whipping post. That by his stripes were healed. His back was plowed. And then also, as he hung on the cross, he became a curse for us, Galatians 3.19. And those drops of blood were falling down at the foot of the cross, and he paid for our deliverance. So all of this happened here at this Calvary. And there's so much more that I can't get into. But this is the bronze altar. And this is a picture and type in many ways of the communion table because we remember what Jesus did at the cross. So this, look at this. There's, there's the communion table represented in the outer court. Then at the table of showbread, the communion table is in the holy place. Then when you get in the holy of holies, there was not only the Ten Commandments, not only Aaron's rod that budded, but there was a jar of manna. And manna speaks of the communion. So you see, in my opinion, the communion table helps to take people from the outer court to the holy place and to the holy of holies. Then as you go from that the altar of sacrifice, you get to the laver. I'm trying to show you a progression. How many of you guys want to go on the deep places of God's presence for real? You really do. 
Here's the progression. Number one, you're going to have to come through the gospel. Number two, you're going to have to accept Christ as your Savior. We know this. This is baby food. We're getting deeper. The, second, the third thing is this. There's the washing of the water. You guys know, and I'll teach more about it soon, about the, the power of water immersion. And also um, the washing of the water of the Word of God. That this bronze laver, this bronze big bowl, okay, was made of the looking glasses of the women that you look down in it. It's God's word. You see the places in your life that need to be washed. And there's a washing of the water of the word of God. We repent. We get right. Then you cross over. So now you're going from the holy, I mean, the outer court into the holy place. So you go beyond that veil. But see, right there is where there's five posts. Anybody that knows anything about building something knows there's no reason to put five posts there because that middle one's going to be right in your way. But see, it's symbolic of the fivefold ministry. We're supposed to be helping people get from the outer court to the holy place. We're supposed to be helping people get into God's presence. We're supposed to be making a dwelling place for God to meet with men. And the first thing that crossed, as you cross that veil into the holy place, was the table of showbread, which is the communion table. That's why I like to take communion at the beginning of a service, because it helps people cross from the outer court into the holy place. A lot of people come in, they've had a long day, they've had a long week, whatever it is. But when they come in in that communion table, and I've already talked enough about it, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, but there's something spiritually that happens in all of us collectively as a body as we take communion together that helps us get from that outer court into the holy place, and we go right into worship and people enter right in because of, I believe, they've been made ready by the communion table. And that's where the communion table leads into the presence and power of God, the lampstand. The Holy Spirit, he begins to move. His light begins to shine. There's a revelation that comes. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, remember wisdom, revelation, counsel, might knowledge, the fear of God. But the Holy Spirit begins to come in. His light shines. His oil is flowing. His presence and power is among us. But what's it all connected to? That, that incense, that praise and worship, prayer and intercession. See, that right there, that's the next stop. When you come in, we take a moment to examine yourself. We go into that communion table time. We confess our sins. We get washed and covered in the blood. And we begin what? To worship the Lord. As we begin to praise and worship and pray and intercede, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit comes in. But it is that incense of worship and prayer that takes you because you're already covered in the blood, okay, takes you beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. Some people want to resist, but you're not going to get into God's presence coming through any other means other than Jesus. You've got to know, you've got to have a covenant relationship by being born again. But you also need to be washed with the water of the word because sin is not going to come into the glory realm. Then you go, the communion table helps you to get covered in the blood of Jesus. You begin that worship, that incense. The incense speaks of praise and worship, prayer and intercession. You begin to praise and worship, pray. As you begin to do that, that incense, so to speak, helps take you into the presence of God and you go deep into the Holy of Holies. This is an eternal pattern.
So if you'll begin to apply this in your life, in your own personal life, to begin to take communion on your own, begin to take communion in your home, the glory really started coming into my home whenever, and see this, like tonight, the glory coming in, that's, trust me, that's nothing new, and it's not anything new for the last several years. This has been in my personal prayer life and home for many, many, many years. But it's not because of anything with me at all, and I think everybody knows that, but it's this pattern that you begin to get washed and covered in the blood of Jesus, and you begin to worship the Lord and pray, and the Holy Spirit will come in the presence of God, and pretty soon you've moved beyond the holy place, and you're just kind of soaking in God's manifest presence, intimate with God. Remember the communion table, the bread of faces, the bread of intimacy with God? It helps take you deep in the glory realms. Is this making sense tonight? And so that's why the pattern in River of Life is like this. You know, I threw everything else out. I had nothing to lose. I had no reputation to lose. I had nothing to lose. Didn't care when we started this. I just simply wanted to have God's presence. That's it. If someone say, what's the goal? That's it. It's not hard. I want God's presence. And we want to see people saved. And we want to see God's people really grow in the Lord and be empowered. But we want his presence. And I knew that this is an eternal pattern. And so I knew that if we could come together and we could really confess our sin and, get, and take communion together and get covered in the blood, and then we could have freedom and praise and worship and prayer, I knew that God would lift the veil and we would go right into the glory. And that's exactly what's been happening. And it's only going to keep getting deeper. And if we'll do that in our homes, that's when I believe things really started changing in my home was when we started taking communion. I take it with my family. I, I talked to them about it. They take communion and went through and anointed the doorposts, began to bless, began to make our house a house of prayer and began to uh, do those things. The glory of God began to really come in. And the glory began to come in at not only in our prayer times, but even at night, the glory would come and settle upon us. And I've talked a lot about that as well. But it's in that glory. All right. What's going to matter in eternity? It's kind of what this sermon, the whole thing's about. Now, now let me start closing with this right here. We want to leave a legacy. Should the Lord tarry, when we go, we want there to be some kind of a legacy behind us. Does this make sense? You don't want all your kids going to hell. You don't want all the, the ministry and everything that you left behind just totally going into shambles and falling to pieces. Like everything depended on you. And once you're gone, everything just falls apart. You want to leave some kind of a legacy. And I believe if we'll really partner with God, what is God about in these last days? I believe that the three main things are this. God is about an end-time harvest of souls. We know that Matthew 13, 39 says the end of the age is the harvest. Number two, I believe God is about revival. I really do. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh was prophesied in the last days. And the, the sinners, we need an outpouring of the Spirit so that people can get saved. But we also need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that God's people can be changed. There's going to be such a pull from the world that we need the, a mighty move of God in our lives to stay the course. And then the third thing is what I've been mentioning throughout this whole series. The Holy Spirit is preparing a bride for Christ's coming. Those are the three things that I believe in the last days 
that God's really doing. And if we will partner with him in these things, I believe it will help us leave a, a legacy behind. See, Steve Hill's already gone on to, into eternity. And he's missed. I mean, he was a great general. But how many of you guys know he, he left a legacy? He left a legacy of at least a million people gave their lives to the Lord. That's his legacy. And a family that, that loves God and is on fire for God, his, his children serve the Lord. But he left a legacy. Why? Because he was about that end time harvest and that end time revival. And I believe that that's some things God's about. And, I'm, and believe me, I understand about ministering to God's people and all of us coming to maturity and all the different aspects of that, preaching and teaching the word. The, the importance of the gifts and the prophetic, things like that. All of that's important. But I'm talking about leaving a legacy. There's got to be a kind of a, a broader understanding of things, not just a service where God moved. I mean a legacy where something's left beyond your lifetime. And I don't know about you, but I want when I'm gone things to continue on and that there's something that was left behind that people can run with that fire. And that something, you know, the things I taught, the fact that what I had with God was reproduced in them. Not, they didn't just hear about God, but they experienced God for themselves. And whatever God had given me, it was passed to them. There was a, a woman I heard telling this story, and I'll tell two real quick with this, but Catherine Coleman left a legacy. a wonderful woman of God and there was a, a lady that I just saw recently talking about how God is still using her to, to preach the gospel and to see tremendous miracles I mean creative miracles some radical miracles but you know where it all started she went to a Catherine Coleman meeting not knowing anything about the supernatural not knowing anything about healing but in this particular meeting she went there because she was very sick and the Lord called her out. Catherine called her out. Said, there's a woman back there in the middle. You're very sick. And even though all that was going on, she was very stubborn and rebellious and didn't want to go up to, um, to get prayer. So Catherine just kept on with it. Finally, the lady came up, and Catherine prayed for her to be healed. She said she was totally, completely healed instantly. It's never been back. But Catherine said this. She said, what I have with God, may that be released to you now. And she said that woman was thrown. She was telling about herself. She said, I was thrown back about 10 to 15 feet, landed on my back, slid underneath the piano. And she said, I was there for a long time. She said, I finally got up. But she said, something had happened to me. And she said, from that moment, listen to this one. She said she got in an elevator after the meeting and was just standing there trying to figure out. Because you understand, this woman had no paradigm for the, the move of the spirit. She's going... I, I got healed. I got thrown in the air. I was, she's trying to muddle through all this. You know, what happened to me? I feel different. And she gets on the elevator, and she's standing there, and all the people around her fall under the power. So then she's like, what's, what's going on? And so she's like, I'm going I'm to run and take the stairs. So she goes, and she's going. And she, granted, she was sick, but now she's doing good. She's going down the stairs, and she'd pass somebody, and they'd fall out on the stairs. And she said this went on for about a week, but something had been transferred into her. And then also James Maloney, remember we went to see him. He said that it all started, he had went to Catherine's meeting. And this was probably in the early 70s. 
And he said that he was just a young little hippie boy, all right? <laughs> and he was sitting there in the audience, and he didn't know what to expect. I mean, he'd never been around any type of move of God. So he's just sitting there. You hear the organ going, and everybody's just sitting there kind of waiting. So he's just there. And all of a sudden, this woman in this white flowing gown starts coming from the back down his aisle. And here she was. You know how she was. She's going with it. And he's kind of like, everybody's looking, so he's looking back at her. She comes over by him and just takes, she had this gown that had these long sleeves or whatever, and she just wraps it around his head like this, and she's sitting there talking for a minute or whatever, and she walks off, and he said he just collapsed down on the ground, just melted, slid under the chair in front of him and stayed there. But when he got up, a miracle ministry was born in his life, and he had seen so many miracles. I was asking about all the miracles because I had some time with him, just him and I. And I was like, tell me about the miracles. And he wasn't trying to be funny. He said, you're going to have to ask me to, for categories. I mean, there's just, I don't even remember some of them. There's so many. And so I was like, tell me about the little children. He goes, oh, those are my favorite too. So he was telling me about these awesome, all these little children have been healed from things. But my point is, is that Catherine left a legacy. All right, here's the last two things I want to say. The difference between the holy and the righteous. We use these words interchangeably. But holy in Hebrew is kadosh, and holy means to be set apart. So like you'll set a place or a person or a thing, it's set apart for holy purposes only. It's not to be used for anything sinful, it's set apart. But righteousness is the things that we do and the things that we don't do because we are holy. Because God has set me apart as holy unto him, I do not any longer go out to bars and get drunk. Why? Because God has set me apart as holy, so I live, I live a righteous life. And living that righteous life, I want to be doing things that's righteous, like winning souls or... Um, come into church, worshiping, giving tithes, things like that. You do righteous things, righteous acts. But you do it because you're set apart as holy unto God. Does this make sense? And then finally, the 70th week of Daniel. We are about toward the end of what we know as the age of the gospel, the dispensation, the 2,000 years that we're in. This thing's coming to a close. Between the fall of Adam until Abraham was about 2,000 years. From the time of Abraham to the time of Christ was 2,000 years. And from the time of Christ until now is about 2,000 years. We are at a time where this church age is coming to a close and God is finishing things up. And I want to be right in the middle of what he's doing. And should the Lord Terry be on my life, I want to leave a legacy behind. But I want to be about his kingdom because this thing's coming to an end. And the way that it's going to end for the bride, not for everybody, but for the bride that's made herself ready, there's going to be a catching away. And I want to be ready for that. But when that happens, it's going to switch to being about Israel, remember? And God's going to do that final purging of Israel. It's called the days of Jacob's trouble. And the Bible, we know it. Um, as the tribulation time it's a seven year period it's the 70th week of Daniel where God's going to do a final purging in Israel to prepare for the coming of Jesus to that nation 
The Lord could come tomorrow. How many of y'all know that? And when he comes, I want to be doing what he wants me to be doing. I want to be a wise virgin that's living holy, filled with extra oil, as the Bible says. I want to be about my father's business. I don't want him coming, and when he actually comes, here I am, backslid, cold, out of church, not even living right, not even doing right. Come on. He's not coming for a bride like that. When he comes, I want to be ready for his coming. I mean, you guys know that a bride is not just sitting around just ho-hum like a whatever, you know. She's looking and excited about getting married. And that's the way that we're supposed to be. We're, we're looking for his coming. We're ready for him to come. And we're, we've made ourselves ready for his coming. We've repented of things. We're, we're excited about his coming. Lord, that you come. I'm ready. But while he tarries, we want to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Holy, set apart, and being faithful to do what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. I want to live with eternity in mind. What's going to matter in eternity? What, what will matter tomorrow? What I do tomorrow? What's going to matter in eternity? So, Father, as we close out this sermon tonight, I thank you for this. I pray tonight, touch your people. Because I really feel that you're wanting to, to begin a healing in some people's hearts and minds, a very deep inner healing that's beginning tonight. But thank you, Lord, for this word. Seal this time. In Jesus' name we pray.